when you're training for something, you really have to dig in. You've got to sweat and you've got to grind and you've got to reach deep into yourself to stretch far beyond what you thought you were capable of. That moment where your brain and your muscles get tested and then in a kind of serendipitous instant begin to work together and start to produce the kind of magic that you've always dreamed of, well, that moment is when you know you've finally done it. What am I talking about here? Well, some of you are probably thinking I'm talking about training for a sport, but because this is a show about art, others of you are probably thinking I'm talking about playing an instrument. But what if I'm talking about both? Spoiler alert, I am. And my guest today on the program, well, she has a very profound understanding of how sports and art have a seamless connection. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Emperors, the podcast. Check this out. I am floating further from the shore. guest today on the program, Hallie Spore. Let me tell you a little bit about Hallie Spore. The Colorado-born, Brooklyn-based Hallie Spore is a true artist, and she's a true athlete. And she knows that to be either one of those things, you got to put in the reps. Trust me when I tell you, Spore has put in the reps. The trained opera singer and former collegiate soccer player is well aware of the hard work that's needed to hit a note that carries to the clouds and to kick a soccer ball that soars right alongside it. Her voice is wondrous, elegant, and filled with limitless beauty. Her new long player and her fourth overall, Heart Like Thunder, is nothing short of spellbinding. Summoning the work of everyone from Nina Simone to Beth Orton, Spore's vocal command is a cascading blend of power and grace, and her compositions are moving blends of indie folk and rolling jazz. She's marvelous to listen to, and guess what? She's also marvelous to talk to. So let's talk to her. Here's me and Hallie Spore having a conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. 
this uh, weird, rare period of my life where things have actually really slowed down because I broke my wrist. So I am out of commission until I get my cast off, um, which is in a few weeks. So I've kind of just taken this time. I flew back to Colorado because I live in Brooklyn, but I flew back to Colorado to be with my parents and um, just, you know, take some time to slow down, enjoy the season change and of course, you know, that's the positive spin on it. I went through all the uh, emotional upheaval of like canceling shows and I was, you know, pretty frustrated, but it is what it is. So how did you break your wrist? Playing soccer. Mm. Yeah. So I'm on a co-ed league in New York and I am an idiot and volunteered to play goalie, even though I play guitar and piano. Um <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, some guys just shot it really hard and I only got one hand on it. Um, and that was my, my left hand. So it just got all the impact. Were you a soccer player in high school or college? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was a soccer player all growing up. It was actually music and soccer were my passions in life. Um, and then, and then, you know, you eventually like choose a path and it was music. I was never going to be Abby Wambach or a professional soccer player. Um, so yeah, I ended up choosing music, but, um, but I was never like D1 or anything. It was always, you know, club teams and things like that, but I really, I really love it. Yeah. And also there's something that happens when you, cause I played tennis in, in college and yeah, there's something that happens when you get hurt where like yeah. you can't do the thing, um, which makes you realize A, human frailty, Yep. right? And oh, B, man. it also makes you realize like, oh, my hands are really valuable. Like this is yeah. my bread and butter. Yeah. Um, did this also make you think about your like self-preservation in a totally different way regarding your, your music career? Well, I my goalie career is behind me. I'm never gonna play goalie again. So that's the first thing. Never again. I'm done right. playing goalie. I'll play in the field. Um, so there's that. Um, sorry, my cat desperately wants in. I'm gonna let him in here. Hey Maggie. Say hi to Alex. Oh no, of course he's running. <laughs> uh he was batting at the door. Um anyway, yeah, I so yeah, my goalie career is behind me, but um, it kind of has also allowed me to, I think, get a little creative about my performance because I have an album release show um, early October, and this will be the first time where I won't be playing guitar for a show in like ever, ever in in my own shows. I always play guitar, and so... Um, I think I'm going to be able to play keys. I've been practicing keys and, you know, pinky and forefinger in my left hand. Um, but I, it will force me to rely on my band and arrange these songs in a different way. And I think it's going to be cool. Actually, I'm tempted to, I'm like, I'm just curious. I'm really curious about how it's all going to sound. Um, and I think that it might end up I've gotten some feedback over the last couple of years that my piano songs or people feel more drawn to my piano songs. And so, it, I don't know, it, maybe it'll force me in that direction in a certain way. We'll see, but yeah, self-preservation, um, 
was the first thought. And then after that, it was like, how can I get creative? Um, this is my cat. Oh, what a beautiful cat. Thank you. This is, yeah. I have an orange Maine Coon named Saffron. So he- oh my God. That's the best name for an orange Maine Coon I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's- yeah, he likes it. He responds to it. So that's it's effective oh, as well. God. So that's good. Oh, what a cutie. Anyway. Yeah, I, I also find that that having a cat around is like is a necessary thing. It really is. He uh and he's a lap cat too. He he's sitting in my lap right now and he's my, you know, little emotional support critter. I got him during pandemic when I was living by myself in New York and um just having this little creature to take care of is just like immensely helpful. Now he comes with you to Colorado? Uh yeah. So I I when I broke my wrist, I uh immediately just like packed up a backpack and put Mac in a uh, cat carrier and just flew to Colorado. And I even got like wheelchair assistance at LaGuardia to like get, you know, wheeled through security and everything because um I couldn't like carry him and carry my bag um it was a whole ordeal I just knew that I needed to be not in New York during this time period do you think that that being an athlete because I found this I'm a writer but I find that my discipline as a writer is the foundation of that is from my discipline from being a, a a college athlete my I know what it takes I know what I have to do um mm-hmm. I can't just mail it in or hope that charm gets me by. It requires, it requires work. I've, yeah. I've seen people say things about you saying, oh, it's so effortless. And it's like, right, except that it isn't, right? You have right. to do the work to get to effortlessness as a level. Yeah. Um, did athletics prepare you for the artistic life? Because I think there is a through line. I think there is too. Um, yeah, it's funny, the word effortless, like, I mean, I feel like even writers are notoriously better uh, d- disciplinarians about their time than even songwriters. I think we tend to be a little bit more like when inspiration strikes, but the older I get, the more I'm like, no, this is this is a part of my daily routine. It's about routine. Um, and I think too, soccer was something that I was never naturally that good at. I had to work so hard to be as good as some of the other girls that it just came really naturally to. Mm. And music was something that came very naturally to me, at least maybe not all music, but singing especially. Um, and so I think that soccer kind of forced me to stay humble in a way because it was just something I had to work so hard to even be like, you know, middle of the bench kind of, you know. Um, And so for music, I just don't have any expectations or maybe I I have, I have expectations, but I don't have, um, what's the word? Like, I don't deserve anything in this industry. Like I, I recognize that there are, musicians and songwriters in you know in my scene in Brooklyn who are just like you know worlds ahead of where I am right now and yet I also do believe that both of our art you know matters right that it's everybody's kind of individual calling and like there's only one of you and whatever you're inspired to do is yeah is I don't know is is just 
uh, uniquely you. Um, so there's that balance of like humility and also extreme overconfidence because you have to have that in order to pursue an artistic career as, as you probably know, like you need to have this almost delusional sense that like, I can do this regardless of the fact that it's, you know, the odds of it being like very successful financially, at least are, are like winning the lottery, you know, but yeah, I think that's that's really my little spiel is like soccer. Soccer was just something I wasn't like naturally that good at. I had to work my ass off. And then music was something that I kind of I took pieces of that, too, um, especially with my instrumental stuff, because um, I'm a singer first. And so learning keys and learning guitar, too, haven't been the easiest process. But, you know, you get better every year. You chip away. That's a total athlete's mentality too, I think, yeah. you know, because athletes have incredible physical endurance, but also incredible mental endurance. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was telling my mom the other day, we were, um, we were on a walk and we were just talking cause I'm, I'm going through one of my, um, annual existential crises of like, where should I be living? Should I be trying to, you know, what quote unquote, like settle down? Like, what does that look like? You know, should I, what is touring versus trying to like have a successful partnership and try to have a garden? Like if you're touring, it's really hard to keep your tomatoes alive, like things like that. And, <laughs> and um, I was just saying, like, in terms of the endurance piece, I am just a hundred and that I'm like a hundred thousand percent committed to doing my music for the rest of my life. And like the rest of it, uh, I'm committed to with an asterisk related to my music. And, and so, yeah, I mean, that also might have something to do with soccer too, because even though I had coaches haze me like year after year, because like I said, I wasn't, you know, the most naturally talented soccer player, like I had coaches that, you know, benched me a lot and took a toll on my self-esteem, especially as a teenager. And, but I never quit. I never quit because I just love it. And it's the same with music. Like I am in this for the long haul, regardless of the end result. Doesn't it feel good to like say that to yourself and, and know that it's true? Totally. Yeah. Do you feel that with your writing during moments of doubt? So much. Yeah. It's like, it's not. Yeah, totally. It's not negotiable. You it's know? not. Yeah. No. It's, yeah. It's, it's what I it's what I can do well, and um, I'm you know I'm terrible at most other things. So there's you know, <laughs> um, but you're right. Like that that kind of emotional endurance where it's sort of like this is what's going you know this is how it's going to be. Yeah. Um, you know, art first, garden second. Yeah. Right. Yep. You grow a great garden. Yeah, exactly. No, it's just some of the some of the things that take more watering might die, or you find a good house sitter and cat sitter. I mean, the number of cat sitters I've had in the last two years, it's like a revolving door in, in my apartment. Um, but you people figure out a way to make it work, you know. It's like I, I look at role models in the music industry that I have that, you know, like dream role models like Margot Price and Brandy Carlisle and these are women that have families and have, you know, homes, have built homes, have children, have partners, and they are on the road all the time. And their music is so good. 
And it's like, there are people that are doing it. You know, they're, they're, they're keeping the dream alive. I don't know how, but you know, they've figured it out. Is there a part of you that part of the crisis is sort of like, I need to stay in New York because it feels like that's where things happen um, versus say moving back, say to Colorado or elsewhere. Yeah. Is that part of what you feel like if you, if you retreat from, from the East coast, it feels like a retreat professionally, even though it isn't, but it might feel that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, New York, I, I feel like is, um, just very it's very motivating um and very humbling at the same time um and i feel like i'm meeting the right people at least the right musicians i'm always confused about who in the industry you need to be connected with like that part has never come naturally i'm not like a natural industry networker but now i know I'm, you know, brushing shoulders with musicians that I respect so much in, in the New York scene. And I know that that's, that would happen. I'd find that back home too. But, um, I always found that in smaller music scenes, at least like Denver, why I left Denver initially is because it felt very kind of clicky and insular because it is small. And then when I moved to New York, even the most like talented coolest people were also nice because I think everybody has this hustle mentality where it's like all the doors are open there's room for everybody here like every little genre niche every walk of life um, every background and Denver uh, just didn't feel that welcoming and it was just funny because you know Denver like theoretically if you would look at the music scene between Denver and New York like you'd think that it would be easier maybe to cut your teeth in Denver, but it's been easier for me to find a home in New York in the music scene. Um, and so, yeah, I, I guess I'm worried that if I leave New York, I will let my foot off the gas a little bit in, in how hard I need to work to become excellent. Like I, I'm, it's very clear to me through being around musicians that I admire so much, like just how hard I need to work um, to get there. And so it's motivating that way, but it's also not the lifestyle that I see myself like living in long-term, you know, I, I, I do, like I said, I want a family and a garden and like some peace of mind at some point. And yeah, New York is tough for that. And money-wise too, it's like, I'm never going to buy something in New York. Like how there's no way. Um, but I also, I'm trying to also grapple with like, what is my, uh, what are the dreams that are only dreams because that's the only thing I've seen before in my family versus what is actually my, my unique version of the dream. Yeah. It's, it's just tough. Like I'm the only one that's ever pursued anything artistically professional in my family. And so there's just no model for how this is supposed to look. Right. So it's almost like in between the idea of being priced out of, of a, of a comfortable life in New York versus going home, there has to be something in between that you can innovate almost like what you've had to do with your, with your wrist and and your, and your shows what is the innovation between those two things? So surely there has to be a third, fourth or fifth option, right? Totally, totally. 
Yeah, I've been fantasizing about Nashville a lot because um, that seems like the the third way maybe. Um, but yeah, I mean, geez, Nashville, you know, every time the thing that's hard about, you know, moving as you probably know too, in developing these like writing communities and, you know, just the, these communities are so important. Um, and every time you pick up and move, you're starting from scratch again, you know, I mean, it's possible, like, I'll be fine. I can do it. I know I can do it. Um, but I am just starting to sell out small venues in New York, like just starting. And so the idea of starting from scratch on my draw too, for a venue is like, Oh God, like, <laughs> right. The, because the, the, the professional wisdom would be now is not the time to leave yeah. based on that alone. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know. I have no answers. <laughs> um, and where are you in California? I'm at, just outside of Berkeley. Oh, cool. Oh, I love that area. Yeah. They would love you. Your music fits right in with this, with this, um, the Berkeley sense of book, they'd eat you up. There's so many great places for you to play here. And, and I it's, would so, love and that. it's so cheap to live here. Is it actually? Wait, you're <laughs> lying. It's yeah, a, I'm like, wait, there's no way. <laughs> no, it's a nightmare. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a nightmare. It's, yeah. It's everything you're saying in New York, just sunny. Yeah. 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 No, I, I went to school at Loyola Marymount in LA and was actually born in Santa Monica. So I have a little bit of California ties. Um, and that's the other thing that I was thinking about is like, what, what would it be like if I moved back to LA? Um, and that would be just like another beast of New York, you know, it would just be, I, of course I have, you know, a great community in LA too, but like, it would just be another version of like the issues that I'm up against right now with trying to figure out as I get, you know, into this next phase of my life, like looking for some balance, but yeah, you're right. Like professionally speaking, leaving a place where I've developed a community and a draw doesn't really make sense um, right now. No, not at this point. And, and by the way, it must feel really good to see like, you know, the fruits of your labor have resulted in the selling out of gigs. Like that must feel like things are going in the right direction. Um, I am, I am so self-critical. Um, I am starting to sell out like album release shows, but the regular shows, it's still a pain in the ass getting people out. Like, so I don't feel like I have, um, uh, that's part of my problem too in New York is that I, uh, what's the word? I'm like, uh, so self-critical. There's that demon side of it. Um, where I really haven't let myself feel the fruits of my labor really until I guess this album release that I'm doing now, where I feel like for the first time, I kind of have my ducks in a row minus this, um, where, um, you know, I have my album release and I'm doing an album release show in Denver and, you know, we're two weeks out and we're already like almost 75% sold, which is awesome. Yeah. Venue. It's a venue in DCPA, um, which is the kind of the main downtown uh, arts district. Um, and 
I've got an amazing band and I have another album release show booked already in New York and it's a small venue, but really cute. And I've got two beautiful openers and I know the evening is going to be really, really special. So it's really tough for me to let myself feel progress, which I think is, um, gets in the way of me enjoying the creative career because I'm very committed to the like grind and then I don't let myself feel kind of the victories, which is not sustainable. Like I do need to figure out how to let myself, you know, feel, yeah, feel, feel the victories too. Cause they are not like, they're not common, I guess. Yeah. Oh, but in a way they are too. Cause like you write a song and that's a great song and then you make a new friend. And then that friend introduces you to like a PR agency and then the PR firm is like repping, you know, your album release for the first time there are, but yeah, I'm just like, I have my eyes just set on red rocks. I just want it so bad. And I'm just so far, right? Like if I can't sell 50 tickets to like a bar, how am I going to sell like what? 10,000 tickets in red rocks. I'm like, yeah. Red rocks is, it would be so perfect it's for you. Dream. Right. Oh, thanks Alex. I appreciate you. Yeah. Well, I also think that what you were saying is really interesting. And I think I have to tie it back to sports where it's sort of like, we know, cause I'm, you know, when I played tennis in college, I was, I definitely was holding up the very back end of the lineup. Um, one of the smaller guys, well, probably the yeah. smallest guy on the team for sure. And so I knew that I had to work hard and innovate so I could play, you know, guys who are six, five and serving yeah. 140 miles an hour. I, you know, what am I going to do? So yeah. um, the endurance of, of innovating and planning and knowing there are other people where it seems like it's coming easier to them, even though it's yeah. that's not necessarily true. Yeah. Um, I do think that with sports, the endurance of it almost feels like the journey is far more um, where we live rather than the destination. It, it absolutely is. And that's, that's why getting creative I mean even with this risk thing and thinking about like the small victories is so important because if you're only focused on red rocks like you're going to be failing until you get there right but like there is there is it's not really about failure I mean we're like built in this capitalist machine where our only value is tied to like how much we money we make in a job when that's just actually bullshit like it's it's a lie that's been passed down to us I mean this is the first time in my entire family history where anyone's pursued an artistic path ever like including you know the immigrants that came from like Germany and Britain you know in the like 1600s right like no one everybody's been in survival mode up until this point and so it's such a gift that I get to choose it's odd, but like I'm choosing a a less monetarily successful life. And I'm probably the first person in my family that will have, has done that because it's always been about like climbing. And so learning, I think learning that the process in and of itself is worthwhile and the journey in and of itself is worthwhile will be like my lifelong battle. Like that will be it's any artist, I'm sure for you too. Like it's the, it's, it's going to be a lifelong thing of like accepting that 
because even musicians, you know, that I admire when you get to a certain point, it's about the next thing, right? Like, it's like, oh, you know, I already played Red Rocks. Like it's about MSG. There's always another hill to climb. So if you don't enjoy climbing it, like you're going to have a miserable life. Yeah. It's, it's not the life for you if you don't enjoy the climb. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Yeah. 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 But climbing yeah. is what all your ancestors have in common. True. Right? They all, climbing is surviving and you're doing a yeah. climbing just in a different milieu mm -hmm. you know true yeah i also think that you know if you sell out say a thousand seat venue that's a beautiful thing to let's just say to celebrate and your brain can't say well it's not red rock like you can't right. you can't think like that you have to think like this is amazing and yeah. i heard a therapist once talk in this ted talk where she was saying you've got to mark every occasion. Otherwise everything blends together and there's no demarcations on the timeline. So yep. you sell out the album release show, you're supposed to like celebrate that moment. Yes. And it's so hard to do. I know, I know. It is and it's not. It's like, get over yourself, Hallie. Like, just <laughs> like, yeah, get over your stupid pitying self. Like that's the shadow self. That's not... That's that's not who needs to be in the driver's seat. Yeah, it's um, I I've had a few bandmates actually call me out on this um, in the last year and be like, Hallie, you just don't seem happy after shows like what gives get over yourself like this was a great show. Stop being so down on yourself for this like the audience had a great time like. But yeah, I mean, I um I I need to get better at that. That's for me to have more of a sustainable, like happy life doing this thing. Um, so there was no exhilaration after a show when you think there there should be a kind of euphoria about yeah, having just performed, should. right? Yep, totally. And your bandmates were right. No, they they absolutely were. It, it's all it's it's weird. I've felt um, the euphoria at shows the last couple of years have been kind of a strange thing because. I'm going through some transitions with the way I want the band to sound, but my, um, because I've been doing so much solo touring, my solo set is getting so tight that like I, the euphoria I'm feeling is like after I played, you know, played like to two people at a bar in where the hell were we in like Durham, North Carolina, where we like this random bar. And I was like, I am so proud of the way I just played and then I get up for a hometown show in New York where I've got all my friends in the room and I have the full band and I'm like, oh, that just didn't sound the way I wanted it to sound. Um, and so that's kind of just a transition probably. But um, yeah, there's no predictability to like when you feel good after a show or maybe there should be, maybe it should be like the discipline thing. When your bandmates pointed that out to you, what was the mode? Like, what were you feeling? Like, what, what actually was going through your brain? Levels, like, oh, the drums were too loud. Um, the keyboard, like, this, the one show, the show that I had the last kind of, like, uh, my worst attitude that I've had after a show recently um, was the last show of my spring tour. And I um was out of money and still you know it's important to me to pay my band like you got to pay your band so I was out of money still paying the band we had a rehearsal 
it sounded great in rehearsal. And then I ended up playing the house keyboard because uh, they had a keyboard and I was like, I don't want to lug my keyboard because it's New York. And then the keyboard octave pedal because it were octave button because it was like a short, uh, you know, only like three, four octave keyboard instead of the full piano. That button was like broken. And so I was stuck in this stupid high octave and then, you know, like the drums were too loud and, you know, like that wasn't his fault because he couldn't hear anything that was happening for, it's mm-hmm. more about like stupid logistics stuff that gets stuck in my head and then like wreck a experience for me because I'm not hearing things sounding good. I'm hearing them sound terrible, but they sound okay to the audience because we're projected out. You know, there's no like, you know, good mix in the monitor or anything. So like, yeah, for me, it's those details. It's like, if we can nail those little things and figure out a way to be consistent, that's, I think, you know, when I will feel more confident with the band. Um, but ultimately, I only have control over my own mindset and my own performance. Every show is going to be a different, like, freaking house drum set and keyboard and monitor and sound guy. How long does it take for you to walk that off? I mean, for... uh I mean, that show, I'm still mad about that show. Um, wow. <laughs> and that was a long time ago. Um, but normally if it's like, that was a rare one though. That was like the worst show of the year for me. And I was also totally physically, emotionally and financially depleted from tour. So it was kind of the perfect storm of everything. Um, normally I'd say if I'm like going out after the show with some friends, it'll be like, okay, I'm forced to walk it off. Um, but yeah, I, I, if it's one of those like disaster shows for me in my headspace, I will remember it and like use it to be kind of fuel. I tend to do that. And I also don't know if that's the healthiest thing. Like another example of that is, um, I was dating this guy in the music scene and, um, whenever and he's like all about touring and whenever I release like a tour calendar I'm like dates 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 I got tour I'm touring I'm doing a thing it's a competitive thing but it's also not actually competitive I just I mean I guess back to the athlete thing maybe I don't know it's fuel for me like I use these uh bad games or like you know uh uh what's the word uh, relationships with folks to like also be motivating for me to be better um so yeah as long as it doesn't eat me alive i think it's okay sometimes it eats me alive sometimes it doesn't i remember walking there dragon's blood and currents in my head Didn't know better, didn't know what to do, didn't have the right words, but I am sorry too. She's just an old friend and 
someone is publishing this like amazing you know I don't know what um version of writing if you're doing novels or whatever like publish an amazing short story and you're like all right get to work like let's go Alex like time for me to like sit down and do some writing yeah I think because I feel like my old self would have been competitive but my ego uh, is totally gone now so now it's sort of like oh like for example that really great short story that came out years ago called cat person is have you ever read that no, I haven't. I should though. Oh, great. It was in New Yorker and it just was like, cool. I can't remember the name of the author who wrote, but she's marvelous. And it was like a seismic thing when, when it came out. And now there's, yeah. it, it turned into a movie. It's, I'm writing it down. Where you go like, oh yeah, cat person, you'll, you'll love it. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it makes me think that it's possible. So I'm not competitive, yeah. but I feel like, okay, like, you know, that's one more for the good team. People achieve yes. things, right? totally um, that's the angel side that's the like yeah, yeah that, that is that is what you want to do yes how that took you know, the attitude years to get there yeah I'm, you know? I'm getting there I know I'm getting there because I do feel it in I I just don't feel it all the time like I, I feel it like you know for example um this girl who I think is probably gonna pop off in the next you know year I mean she's just a rock star um and she's in the Brooklyn scene um her name's Katie Martucci and I I love her music and she had a record release show at the Salton Room in New York which is a very cool venue in Bushwick and it was just packed and I told her after the show I was like this was like watching a dream come true I mean it's just like awesome to see that and so in that way it can be very motivating um in the positive side um so yeah, I think, yeah, I think I have moments of that too, but I'm still, I can be, I can be a competitive little asshole sometimes. And I, so, so it's like the angel and the demon side for sure. Yeah. Hopefully the competitive side sheds away. Well, you know, it's funny because I think that is, again, getting back to sports, I really feel like that's this kind of like 
you're in the trenches when you yeah. are playing a sport and it's survival because obviously, right. you know, they'll tell you they don't need you. They're happy to tell you they don't need you, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. Anybody in the music industry will say that. That's like the first thing they tell you if you go to any stupid like networking music industry panel thing, they'll be like, if you can do anything else, do it. You're like, okay, like, yeah, you're right. You know, that's true. I yeah. always feel that's like, that's such nonsense. Cause I feel like they, they're trying to like weed out people. They that are. are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I, I actually think that too, with, um, my, um, I went to Denver School of the Arts for middle school and high school. Um, and it's kind of an audition only arts magnet school. And they were so very kind of like fame, LaGuardia, you know, that kind of amount of like competition. And the teachers too kind of had that old school mentality of, you know, just kind of hazing out the weak kids. And you know who usually is like a really good artist is the weak kid, you know? So I always felt like, because I actually teach a few um, voice students now, and I'm just trying to get them to like keep the love of it. Because as a kid, you just have no idea. Like, yeah, I just think I it's it's really the hazing thing as well same as the trope of the miserable alcoholic addict starving artist grind artist those tropes need to die like that's it's not serving anyone's art and um to have to like haze the art out of you is just like we lost we probably lost some like really beautiful artists in that whole process you know without a doubt yeah yeah yeah, yeah, without a doubt, um, who are feeling naturally for any creative person to feel vulnerable, and that hazing can just destroy any yeah. kind of last shred of confidence that was trying yeah. to, you know, get a foothold. Totally, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I when you went to Loyola, was what was the major? What was the plan? Um. So LMU was, um my college version of the balance thing because I was like you know I don't want to go to a conservatory I want to go to a liberal arts school so that I can kind of do all the things I can play soccer I can do my music um I could do poli sci I was a music and poli sci double major mm -hmm. um and so at the time I was actually this was before I was writing songs um I was an opera major. And so I did all classical voice, um, and was, I really loved it. Um, and so the plan after graduating was to, um, I, I, I moved, uh, back to Denver and started singing for opera Colorado. And I was in the chorus for a few great, like regional opera companies around Colorado. Um, and then I just kind of randomly started writing songs and, I found more creative fulfillment in the writing and then bringing the seed of an idea to the stage than in executing someone else's kind of uh, creativity. Cause mm. opera actually felt a lot like being an athlete. You know, you're like a perfect, it is like, you are truly like an Olympic athlete of these tiny little 
muscles in here to sing and project over like a 70 piece orchestra. You know, it's, it's magic when you see opera done beautifully. It is like, it really is like watching an Olympic athlete. Um, and so, yeah, it felt like it, it, um, uh, fulfilled that side of my brain. Um, but it didn't feel very creative. Yeah. It felt like I was executing on a coach's game plan. Um, so yeah, when I, then I just started kind of like writing these really bad songs and playing, and then like, you know, the typical band story of like finding some friends to like play with in a garage and then being like, you know, of these 15 really bad songs, one of them, the chorus is okay. And then it keeps kind of kept kind of growing. And that was the artistic, um, career that had that stuck was the whole songwriting thing yeah it, you know, as someone who knows so much about voice when you see people that are contemporaries trying to hit red rocks and you yeah. listen to them you go like wow they're not they're not even singing technically you know technically not even a great singer you totally. probably your your ear probably picks up on that totally that, how does that land with you um, it only actually bothers me when I hear injury and I do hear injury a lot. Mm. Uh, uh, one example was, um, I saw Maggie Rogers play Red Rocks at, it was, I think it was the last show of her tour for the, um, I don't think that is the album called Falling Water or In a Past Life, that record. And it's a gorgeous record and she is a masterful producer and a great singer. So no shade. I just think it was the last show of tour and I could just hear the fatigue um, in her voice. And that is when it bothers me because I just am worried that like these amazing careers are going to be sh cut short because they're hurting themselves. Um, of course, like the petty side of me is kind of like tired of the whisper singing era like that is so popular right now um the like Billie Eilish um even like uh it just feels like the like indie thing now is like you know kind of like Phoebe Bridgers and these are folks also by the way that I listen to and admire um but the whisper singing thing is so in and which is old, I think very opposite to like the women of like the nineties powerhouses, like Alanis Morissette and Jewel and Sarah McLaughlin, who were like, they were singing. They were not like speak whisper singing. Um, but I guess the, like, uh, what I'm trying to say is that there is a place for all of it still. Um, you know, there's the Adele's and there are these like, you know, uh, Margaret Price is like singing her head off, like Brandy Carlisle, insane voice. So there are still folks that are doing the like big vocals thing. And then there are folks that are doing something new and it's really trendy and it's this like close mic intimate thing and it's just not who I am. And so I've accepted, I'm like, okay, so that's, that one is not what I am. I'm more like this and that's okay. Like there's a place for all of it, but yeah, it only really w concerns me when I hear like injury happening in real time. I had this thing where I feel like 
if Kurt Cobain had lived, we wouldn't have had all that new metal stuff. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have like Limp Biscuit and Corn, and they wouldn't have had yeah. the careers. I'm convinced of it because I don't think that Nirvana would have allowed just not like they were by choice, but that the music yeah. wouldn't have allowed that to come through totally. uh, because it would have. It, and I and I feel that way about Amy Winehouse too. I feel like if uh, Amy had lived. Yes. We wouldn't have the whispering stuff. We would have had more people um, trying to sound like her, like all the bands that tried to sound like Nirvana. Um, in the absence of those two titanic talents, yeah, I feel like the whisper singing can be traced almost to the death of Amy Winehouse. I'm almost sure of it. Yeah, you know what? I have never thought about it that way, but yeah, I think you're right because it is something, it's newer, it's fresh. Like it's a different take. Yeah. And it also allows for um, different talent to shine through because like Amy, well, I mean, Frick, like her producer, um, I forget his name, but he's, you know, like Mark Ronson. Yeah, Mark. Yeah. He's like, you know, the producer now. Um, But even independent of the production, like her voice was just like it would have and her songs I mean it just would have shown through regardless of who her team was I think she was like one of those talents where it's just like god given it's just like this is just meant to be you're meant to have a platform um and what has happened I think instead of the focus being on the vocals now for a lot of these artists is the focus is on the production like with Billie Eilish I think it's so much about the genius of the production of mm. those songs and her approach too. like, not just, you know, her brother, like they're co-producing and like um, that there's room now for that approach of the production being the star of the song rather than the vocals or like the emotive storytelling of it. Um, and that's a whole new thing, which, you know, people love. So yeah, it, it is fresh. I agree with you. And I think, you know, for Amy Winehouse, who I just absolutely loved, I mean, lyrically, she was so interesting and oh my funny God, and yeah. smart and tragic and poetic and just a beautiful writer. Totally. Um, so the loss of her, the style, I don't hear anybody trying to sound like her. No. Or trying to write like her. Because I feel like Billie Eilish, yeah. no disrespect, I don't yeah. think she has anything to really say. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and I... Yeah. I, I feel terrible saying that because I want to be supportive. I yeah. just don't get, I don't see a point of view in the way that Amy Winehouse had such a point of view and such a sense of humor. Yeah, she did. Else, right? Yeah. Oh my God. So funny. I mean, rehab is so funny. It's like, yeah. And love is a losing game. I mean, that is just, well, it just rips your heart out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. That's why, you know, I think the production is the shiny thing Mm -hmm. for some of these artists. Like, I agree. And they're also younger. Like, who knows? Because she's such a baby. Like, who knows what she'll write about, you know, 10 years from now. Same with, like, Olivia Rodrigo. But I do think, like, the shining thing for both of them are these, like, insane production quality. It's just, like, catchy as hell. And they just sound so good in the headphones and like the mix and like that low beat. It's just, yeah, it's like the Gen Z anthems, you know? Right. Yeah, which isn't really in my mind so much about storytelling. It's like about 
like feeling a beat in your body and feeling emoting a certain way. Yeah. Right. Whereas I feel you are a storyteller and I think, you know, and me as a writer, yeah. I really, I prefer the storytelling because I want to, you know, I want to yeah. go on a journey. Yeah. Um, I was watching the the film that you made for, was it for Heart Like Thunder? Was it where, where the- Oh yeah, the short film. Yeah. 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 Like beautifully shot and, and so yeah. contemplative and so, what a wonderful piece of, of filmmaking. To oh, thank you. Beautiful song. Yep. That's, um, that's five, five, five films. Um, who um, the director is uh, Brittany Vickers, who I actually went to high school with in Denver. No way. Then Brittany um, moved out to New York and met her now husband, Tomah, who's a cinematographer. And they're like this power team. And um, Brittany, actually, her background, she's a um, Juilliard trained like Broadway actress. And so she took all of that um, training and craft, um, into her filmmaking. And it's like very clear, um, that day was so crazy because it was like such an exercise in trust, like making that music video, because it was the most money I ever spent on any of my art. Um, cause I had a huge team, you know, I had my, I had Brittany's team like behind the camera. And then I had my choreographer and the three dancers and, um, I, I was just like, and it all was, the days were so messy. Like nothing was on time and like nothing was working. Like the gimbal was breaking and like the light was being lost at the subway and blah, blah. And I was like, this is going to, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm just going to put my trust in Brit. And I, oh my God, I just sobbed when I saw it. Toma just showed me a little um, clip of it on the subway from you know his camera and I was like oh shit this is actually going to be beautiful like I just didn't know um I had this uh idea in my head for years um but seeing it executed was so cool I I think that's that video is one of the pieces of art that I'm like the most proud of like top two um yeah that was very meaningful for me too um yeah in the bathtub scene you know which is like very you know I'm actually crying in that scene and going underwater that scene was like transformative too for me to film like I didn't even know that I could be an actor and I didn't know how visceral it was um and I knew this what I wanted to get out of that scene but I didn't know if I would be able to do it because I've never even acted on a camera before um and it just came to me um because the song just is uh like it's just autobiographical and it, it 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 is that emotional journey so I'm really I'm I know I'm babbling a little bit but I'm really glad that it spoke to you because I love that video oh no and I, I love it too and, and I was thinking like this video looks like the way the song feels hmm Right. Yeah. And that's beautifully executed. And I just kind of thought, wow, this inter it's so internal. And I always say that I think great art is like feeling like you are underwater. I'm kind of borrowing that from Fitzgerald anyway, but yeah. that song makes me feel like I'm in this um in this kind of submerged yeah. world. And, yeah. the, and the the filmmaking renders that perfectly. 
Yeah, I, no, that's so I got the um the song idea, Heart Like Thunder. I actually started writing that song 10 years ago in college. Oh, I'm sorry. Do not disturb. Can I turn that Yes. There we go. Do not disturb. Sorry about that. Um so I lost my voice before a big show. Um, my senior year of college, and I wouldn't consider myself to be um, uh, that, uh, you know, there's so many like yoga gurus now and like folks that are like doing affirmations and manifestations and all that. And I wouldn't consider myself to be uh, very hippy dippy in that way. But that night I just was like, I need to be in the water. And I got in the bathtub and it was the image that I gave Brit, which was what ended up being in the video was that I was listening to, you know, when you have, you're in the bathtub and you have your um, ears under the water, but your mouth is breathing above the water and you can hear your heart beating. And I went through a meditation in my whole body of like thanking, you know, it's like, thank you voice for like telling people that, you know, you love them and like, thank you hands for like, you know, touching an avocado, like random shit. And it went through my whole body and just let go. And then, you know, the show the next day, like I had a voice, it wasn't that strong, but like I had a voice and my body did what it needed to do, but that's the seed for the song. And so that was the whole inspiration. You totally nailed it. It was like the underwater world. Um, and so that's what we tried to do with the production too, of the song is everything up until the chorus is underwater. It's like submerged in the mix. And then once the chorus happens, it's like that, like gasping for air kind of coming up feeling. Yeah. And the buildup to that moment too is, is beautiful. It's just, um, it's just a masterfully done film. Oh, yeah. I'm, I am a lucky duck that I got to work with that team. Um, and that Brittany actually, I would say also just um, translated my brain basically like, I had, I knew exactly what I wanted to get from it and she helped me bring it to life. I'm so glad it spoke to you. Yeah. Cause I, I love that. I love that piece of art. I'm really proud of it. Yeah. It's, it's something else. Um, after I watched it, I needed to kind of like, just take a minute. Cause it was like, whoa. it's emotional. It's heavy. It's, a, it's <laughs> and heavy. it's a heavy song too. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's really intense. Um, and, you know, the, the subject matter of the song is really intense too. Like I, it's, you know, it's about depression. It's about um, like, what would it be like if I chose not to breathe underwater? Like that's the, that's basically the chorus. Um, and so that had to be conveyed in that way of like the dream world versus reality that we live in. Um yeah. And Brit, uh, I think the edit of it was kind of perfect because the the ending is hopeful, but that was a choice that we made too. Like we were kind of between two, we were also playing with the idea of like, what if the end was just going back underwater? Cause you know, the, the beginning of it, you go underwater and then you're in the dream world. And then we're at the end, we're like out of the dream world. We're back in the apartment and she's like starting to write again. She's feeling like you know, the inspiration is back and like their creativity is back because the dancers are supposed to be my muses, my creative muses bringing me back to life. And so then it's like, 
yeah then it's like but what if it ended the opposite way of like just going back under the water like that would be that would be a choice too because we all end up back underwater anyway right because yeah we do right if you feel like you are grappling with something creative and then you get it yeah you don't live in the getting it you have to go back underwater anyway yeah you're right yeah yeah have you felt that with moments in your writing career too Totally, where you 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 grapple something from the the unknown world and you pull it into the actual world, yeah. um, but then you don't you don't get to sort of like um, celebrate. You go back in for more. Well, and that's the thing. Like that's the thing about all the shows and like the demon side of me is like, you know, I love the process and I fucking hate the process. Right, right, <laughs> right. But the process the process is. It's also the life's blood of whole thing. the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. You know? It's always um, Yeah, I mean, I always liken being an artist to being like, it's almost like you're Sisyphus, you know, where you're rolling that boulder up to the top and then it's coming right it's back so, down. That is so true. Yes. Yeah, and I think too, like, I, I maybe I would have or we collectively as like American artists, maybe we would have a healthier approach to art making if we were not in a country that was so obsessed with happiness. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I th- I feel like, you know, Keats and like these Irish poets, like they didn't think that they were supposed to be happy. They were just like, no, we're just living in the Irish more. It's like gloomy and like disgusting outside. And I, I just feel like it's like baked into our is it's the constitution is like the pursuit of happiness is like baked into our American ethos. Whereas I feel like other countries, it's kind of like, no, it's like, you know, we're happy and we're sad and there's a place for both feelings. And that also has been something that, um, you know, advice I've taken, especially from a few of my um, artist friends in New York that are older than me is advice that they constantly give me, which is like, you don't have to be happy all the time. Like don't force the sad out of you because that is part of the whole thing. That's like the juice of life is like, you don't feel the highs if you don't feel the lows. Um, So yeah, that's another thing I battle too is like, how happy are we supposed to be? Like, I don't know. I know. You think like, don't get too happy because then you lose the edge of what gives <laughs> me hard, right? Um, I don't know. You know yeah. Like on the tennis court, if I start feeling like, oh, I'm playing such good tennis, that's when I'm going to get a ball in the face. Yeah, totally. It's true. Right? Yeah. You let your guard true. down. Yeah. Yeah. Although I'm just like, I maybe that's the naive side or maybe that's the like ultra American dream side for me is like, I, when I was seeing Brandy Carlisle at Red Rock, she played a song, um, I think it's called Up on the Rock or something like that, which is like maybe the happiest song she's ever written. I think it's a, it's about like her and her wife, Catherine, and like, they're like, up on this rock, every day. It's so happy. The song is so happy. It's like John Denver, almost like we're all just like high on life. Um, and it's like, I'm just like, are you, that, is that real? Like, that's not, you know, I like the tortured Brandy Carlisle songs more. Um, and then my friend Christina, who was next to me, um, is like, that's my favorite song. Like, anyway, there's a place for all of it, but 
Yeah. I think like letting go of the obsession of being happy all the time is important to just be like a well-rounded human. I don't know. Or at least let yourself feel the like songwriting inspiration. But haven't you ever met someone who says to you like, I don't know, I'm just like happy all the time. And you're like, what? Like, how could you, like, you shouldn't be happy all the time. That would make you crazy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, there's this, uh, there was this girl, um, I'm in this, uh, uh, creative um, women's group. Um, and there's this woman in the group who, um, whenever she shares, it just seems like things are just so freaking good all the time. And I'm just like, are you actually this happy? Like, good for you. Like, if you are, I mean, she's like beautiful. She's got an amazing daughter. She's an amazing writer. I'm like, if you're the like, good on you. I'm just like, all right, good for you. Yeah. I can't yeah. relate, but good I on. I can't relate to you. I cannot relate to you. In my head, I'm like, I don't believe you, but I'm going to try to just believe you. You know, I heard um, Jason Mraz's I'm Yours was on in Whole Foods. Oh, God. Day, right? And <laughs> I was and I was in a, maybe I was in a, a vulnerable place, but I walked in and I listened to it and I went, you know, this is a great song, even though it's not something I would. Catchy as hell. Right. It's so catchy. It's so yeah. objectively great. Yeah. Um, and I thought, why shouldn't Jason Mraz give someone three minutes of happiness? And then I'll, yeah. I'll, you know, it's not the hissing of summer lawns, yeah. but it's still, it it's, it's great that it exists to remind us that you should get three minutes of happiness a day. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yours. <laughs> it's like, it's the same for me as like the bubbly toes song. The sink of my nose and it dances my toes. Right. There you go. It's like, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's, I, I cannot relate to that. But no. I'm, you're right. Yeah. Like, let Christina have like the three, you know what I mean? Like, my friend who was with me, like, she was so happy by it. And I was like, mm, I don't know. Seems <laughs> good to be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, you know, you know about Keats. It's like, yeah. You know, Keats wouldn't like Jason Mraz, but he wouldn't. No, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a place for it all. That's the yeah. There's a place for the bubbly toes. That's right. That's yeah. right. And it's like, and it's only three minutes. <laughs> Although I will say, okay, here's my version of bubbly toes: is um, Jack Johnson, uh, banana pancakes. Oh. That is that album is my bubbly toes album. And if I'm in a really good mood and I'm making like a latte and I'm making some delicious, like a fried egg Sammy for myself in the morning, cause I've woken up on the right side of bed, it's going to be the banana pancakes album. So I guess we all have a version of it. That's right. That's yeah. right. Even I started listening to the Indigo girls in like 89 oh. or something. Yes. And I remember just how hungry and how alive those songs were. And then in the later yeah. albums are still great. There's some, you know, less yeah. edgier songs and you go, yeah. oh, that's the arc of a career. Sometimes people get happy. Yeah. And that's great. Good on them. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing I will say to you is that I, I love what you do and I love, I admire your poise as an artist, both sonically and in, in those videos that you do, you have such tremendous poise. And I do think and thanks for talking to me so honestly about athletics and about the journey and practice, because I really think that there is such a huge connection there. And um, it's like you're a creative athlete. 
well, thanks for making that connection. Cause I actually, you know, I've thought about it, um, before, but I haven't thought about it in that kind of framing of like the discipline of it and staying, you know, I guess that is like my version of staying grounded. Um, I mean, during the pandemic, when the whole music career was like wiped away from me, the thing that I came back to was running. Mm. So it is, you're right. It is like very connected. So it's cool that we have that in common. And I'm, I'm glad that you noticed that. Yeah, it, it's, it's a through line. And I do think that like, for example, I also realized that like I have a new book coming out on Halloween and I put oh, a couple out. Where I'm realizing, it oh, like, How can I read it? Oh, I'll, I'll, yes. It's, um, it's called the adventure teen all-stars yeah. and okay. it's one of those things where I'll send you a thing. I'll, I'll email it to you. Um, okay. But there's a thing where I realized like when my first book came out, I thought, oh, the world's never going to be the same. And the world, yeah. so I got, I got this huge box of books from the publisher. Yeah. And then I had to go to work to teach tennis, right? I had to go teach tennis at the time. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's not how I thought it was. Gonna, I thought there I'm was like, going to oh, be a celebration. Like nobody knows. Right. I'd like put gas in the car and I was like, oh, and that was when I kind of realized like you just, it's, you have to be satisfied with what you do and then the world totally. will follow or they won't. Totally. Yeah. yeah. That was the same for me on release day for Shenandoah this last week. Um, it was so, it was like just such a funny, terrible situation because I guess my music distributor CD baby has some agreement with Meta where songs that are public domain, because Shenandoah is a public domain song, um, can't be embedded within posts, social media posts. Mm -hmm. And it was just like such a stupid falling flat of release day, because that's like so much of it is just sharing it on social media and other people sharing it on social media. And then even this week on, on Friday, I think that's when the, your like release radar on Spotify comes out and Shenandoah wasn't on the release radars or any of people's discover weeklies for Spotify either. And I'm like, there's something messed up with this, uh, agreement like that, that CD baby has about this song. And I know it's my distributor because I, there's other versions of Shenandoah that are like all over the internet. So there's something that went awry, but like, just like your books, like, you know, you, you spend like years of your life cultivating something that you're like, I love this. I am so proud of this song. Like there is nothing I would change about this and I will listen to it. And then you're like, so I just hope that it will mean something to someone else. And right. then you get to release day and you're sitting with your boxes of books and no one is reading them. And you're like, okay, like, I guess I'm going to go teach my voice lessons and eat like a frozen Trader Joe's meal. That's right. It's so weird. It's so weird, but yeah, it is what it is. Well, cause you just think that like the, the song comes out, the album comes out, the book comes out and then the universe yeah. tilts towards you and it's yep. like, nope, nothing no, changes. No, it sure doesn't. No, it, it does not. No, <laughs> no tilting. Your music is so beautiful and so um, compelling and evocative and emotive and all, it just hits me in all the ways that I like to be hit, you know, where it just lands and registers in my brain and 
um, and just feels really powerful. Um, so mazel on marvelous work. Thank you so much, Alex. Oh, I get like emotional. I just thank you. I'm so glad it meant something to you. Um, and thank you for having me on this amazing podcast. not the greatest Hallie Spore I just love that conversation I love her album you will too all you have to do is go get it HallieSporeMusic.com that's H-A-L-L-I-E-S-P-O-O-R music.com go there and pick up the new album Heart Like Thunder and you know since you're there pick up the other albums there's merch by the way a beanie stickers signed CDs a jean jacket I mean, that's a great bundle for the holidays for someone you love or maybe just for you because you deserve it. You can follow me on what's left of Twitter at Embers Editor or on Instagram at Embers Podcast or just email me editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Don't forget, BombshellRadio.com is the place to visit to find out what makes our radio station tick. And Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate and review, and tell all your friends. There's all the business stuff I have for you for this week. Next week, it'll be eerily similar. I just find new ways to say the same old things. Uh, Let's close the show off with the marvelous title track from Hallie Spore's new album, Heart Like Thunder. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening. To Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here. On Bombshell Radio. I am floating further from the shore.
yourself away Better to give in Watch the colors fade As you slip away Choosing not to swim